There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. I want you to take your Bibles and take them to Exodus chapter number 25. Exodus chapter number 25. For several weeks now, we've been going through the tabernacle. We started all the way from the outside looking at that, at that walled fence, that linen fence, all the way around the tabernacle, making the outer court. And then we went in by the brazen altar, and we stopped there and reflected on the cross. We went to the laver, and we talked about how that the laver was a place of cleansing. We talked about the framework of the building and what the structure of the tabernacle was like. All those boards of gold and the sockets of silver. We talked about the coverings, those oh, those coverings all around the outside that gave it a, a, a space, a, a covered space. And then last week we went into the tabernacle and we talked about the table of showbread, a place of sufficiency, of supply, a place of fellowship. Well, today I want to go from the right hand inside that holy place to the left hand. So at the right hand would have been the table of showbread. On the left hand would have been the the candlestick, the golden candlestick. And so Exodus chapter number 25, we find the instructions for that golden candlestick, starting in verse number 31. Let's all stand out of honor and reverence to God's word. Exodus 25 and verse number 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his mops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out from the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of one side. Three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch. Three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, which with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that came out of the candlestick. And in the, in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of, of the same and a knop under uh, two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof and that they shall... Light the lamps, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of one talent of gold shall be made, shall he make it, and with all these vessels. And look thou, look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll simply call this the candlestick, the golden candlestick we'll look at tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we beg your cleansing. We beg your forgiveness of sin. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus died on that cross to make it even possible For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The blood of bulls and of goats and of uh, of calves could not pay for sin. Yet we have the blessed Son of God's blood to forgive sin. And we thank you for that. Now, Father, I pray that you would cleanse us with your word tonight. Father, you'd bring us into a place of illumination. 
Father, I pray that you would take this candlestick and you would apply the truth of it in our lives. That you would help us to see the shadows and the types and the person of the Lord Jesus and how He is figured in this lampstand. Father, I pray you'd show us our place in this lampstand as well. Show us our responsibilities and show us our life in this candlestick. Father, we pray for folks to be saved, for lives to be changed, for sins to be confessed and made right before the Lord. God, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. The golden candlestick is one of the most fascinating pieces of furniture in this most holy room. Now, this is that first first room we come into, and it's the larger of the two rooms, and it is called the most holy place. And we'll learn here in the coming weeks about the, uh, uh, or the, the most holy place, about the Holy of Holies and, and that other room where the Ark of the Covenant is. But this is called the holy place, not the most holy, the holy place. And the most holy would be the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. But this candlestick not only is one of the most fascinating pieces, but it's one of the most essential pieces also. It is most essential because it was the only source of light in the room. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about the curtain that's behind us. We've learned about those golden boards or those boards of, of acacia wood in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, with gold all around them on either side and the canvas, the four uh, canvases on top of us making the coverings of the tabernacle. And so uh, there was curtains behind them and pillars and there was no way for light to, to get inside. They didn't put a double pane window there so light could get in so they see what they're doing. It is a place of total darkness in that room had it not been for this candlestick or we could call it a lampstand. You see it was the only source of illumination in that room. Our text describes this candlestick or lampstand is made of one solid piece of gold. Did you see that in verse 39? Of a talent of pure gold. It's to be wrought of one. Now talent approximately weighs 125 pounds. So you think of that. I used to do weightlifting in high school. A lot of times that weightlifting thing, it helps me to get a grip on how much something weighs. And there was a there was a hundred pound weight. I couldn't bench press it. I couldn't do anything like that. I left it to the football boys to bench press that hundred pound weight. But I remember that thing. That thing was this thick, this big around, and it had ribs. Through. I mean, a hundred a hundred and twenty five pounds is what this candlestick weight. I want you to picture that in your mind. Maybe you can picture a hundred pound sack of potatoes or something that weighs a hundred pounds to give you an idea of the sheer size of this thing. 125 pounds. I looked on the internet. The price of gold is $1,254 I believe an ounce if I'm not mistaken. An ounce. That is expensive. And it takes how many ounces? Listen, you didn't know you was going to math class tonight. Amen. I love math. I don't like adding and subtracting, but I sure do love them X's and Y's. I'm good with that. But let's add and subtract. How many, how many, class, how many ounces is in a pound? 16 ounces in a pound. All the teenagers on the back row scratching their head. Hey, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, uh, but we find that there's 16 ounces in a pound. So I, I tallied it up, got my phone out with my little, little calculator in there and tallied it out. Today's market value of just this one piece of furniture would be $2.5 million. That's not to say of the workmanship. That's just for the raw material, not for the workmanship. And you'd know that this workmanship is of beaten. Notice that what it said? That means that it was formed. It wasn't just poured and molded, but it was beaten into the shape. And needless to say, that would be an exhausting, time-consuming way to make this. But that's what God commanded. $2.5 million. But this golden lampstand fits perfectly into this picture picture book of salvation. Remember, that's what God is teaching in the tabernacle. How that sinful man can get to a holy God. 
And we've seen a picture book all the way through of how we can get to God. You think of the different furnitures that we've seen. We've seen the brazen altar. You remember the picture of the brazen altar and how that was a picture of substitution. Substitution. I heard one preacher say this, that there's only two ways in eternity. You either meet God with your sins on yourself or you will meet God with your sins on the Savior. And listen, when we come to that brazen altar, it is a place of substitution where that lamb or that bullock or that goat took our place that should have been ours on the cross of Calvary. Jesus was the ultimate substitute in our place. We see the brazen altar. Then we see the labor. The labor is a picture of not substitution, but sanctification. It was a place to get clean. It was a place where we could get washed, get clean. Remember how Peter was talking to Lord Jesus and Jesus, he said, oh, Jesus is going to wash his feet. And he said, no. He said, don't wash my feet. Jesus said, well, if, you're, if you don't remember wash your feet, you're not a part of me. Well, then wash me all the way over, says Peter. And then Jesus said, no, Peter, you don't need to be washed again. You just need to take care of your feet. And see, that's a picture of our life and sanctification. God has cleansed us. God has made us holy. But we live in a dirty world. We live in a dirty flesh. We live in a dirty time. And so we get filthy. And so there is a place of sanctification, of cleansing. Then we move on from there. And we see the the table that we saw last week. And last week we saw that as a place of satisfaction. The bread of Christ is all that we need. We can be satisfied and fellowship with God at the table of fellowship. At the table of showbread, which is a place of satisfaction. Here... We are to the lampstand, which is a place not of substitution, not of sanctification, not not of satisfaction, but it is a place of illumination. It is a place of vision, a place of illumination. The only possibility of seeing anything in the room of intimacy. That's what this room is. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of privileged communion is by the candlestick. Now I want to take this candlestick and look at it piece by piece and I want us to see something of the three lessons of vital importance to our Christian experience. There are three lessons we'll glean out of this and apply them to our Christian experience. The first one I want you to see is this. I want you to see the illustration in the form of the candlestick. An illustration in the form of a candlestick. Now, I'm an illustration kind of guy. My preacher, when he preached, he used wonderful illustrations. And I'm always looking for good illustrations for my messages. But not only, not only in preaching. Hey, listen, if that comes to me trying to explain something, give me a piece of paper and a pencil. And I'll try my best to explain it with a picture. I'm an illustration kind of guy. But this this, the shape that is described of this candlestick is a picture, an illustration, a drawing of Christ. A picture of Christ. I want you to see, first of all, I want you to see the center shaft portraying Christ. Notice in verse number 3. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold of beaten work. In verse number 31, thou shalt, uh, shalt the candlestick be made. His shaft, that would be the centerpiece all the way up from the base. You've got your little fun sheet, your little illustration there. It's that one central piece that goes straight from the base all the way up to the lampstand. That's what we would find in the scriptures to be the shaft. The shaft is a portrait of the Lord Jesus. Now we see in here it was made of gold. Gold is a picture of deity. If you'll remember on the outside, we have the what the brazen labor and the brazen altar, which is a picture of judgment. But on the inside, a place of fellowship, we are introduced to the beauty of gold, to the deity. The deity of God is emphasized. Gold is the mineral of choice for the kings. For kings, it is, a, it is gold that is fitting of the king. The center shaft is the central light bearer uh, it is the main light of the lampstand. It's the focus of attention. It's the main thing. Everything else centers around the central shaft, the main part, the point. Listen, 
Uh, the center shaft is the central light. In 1 John 1, 5, we find this text that God is light and in Him is no darkness. You see, God is the light. He was the light physically to the children of Israel. Don't you remember there was not only a cloud that covered them by day, but there was a pillar of fire by night. He was illumination, illuminating their path. Also, we find that God, and we see that this is a picture of God's glory. If you go into that next room, the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was, you'll find no lampstand. I believe the very presence of God, the effulgence of His physical glory is seen in that room and provides light. But God is light physically and it points to His glory. We see not only that, it points to the glory of God, but God is light morally. Light light is a picture of the holiness of God, the purity of God is the light also intellectually. We find that all through the scripture. How many of you have ever graduated maybe from high school or whatever? And if you'll see that little stamp on there from the state, usually when it comes to places of education, what do you find there? You'll usually see somewhere on there a lamp. An old, old burning lamp. And it is a picture of knowledge. Here we find in this lampstand, the light of God is a light of knowledge. First John, excuse me, John 1, 4 and 5 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It is a knowledge of Christ that cannot be closed down. This world has been trying to stamp out Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years and He still raises His head. He's still around. There's still people worshiping Him. There's still people following Him. He is a light that cannot be overcome by darkness. Also we see in John 1, 9, that was the light, meaning talking about Jesus, the true light, the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John eight twelve, and Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Look at verse number 31. Verse number 31, and thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold of beaten work. It reiterates that point again in verse number 36. And it shall be one beaten work. All those words, you think about uh, that goldsmith sitting down with that piece of metal and taking maybe something harder, some kind of iron, some kind of, uh, of uh, alloy of steel, and he takes that hammer and he beats that softer metal of gold and plies it and forms it, a beaten work, a, a bruised work. Oh, what a picture of the Lord Jesus what he endured on Calvary's cross, the beating at the hands of the Roman guard, the beating of his face before the garrison, the cruelty of Calvary's cross, where Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross of Calvary. It echoes of Calvary. It echoes of the light of the world. Not melted and poured, but beaten blow by blow. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I believe that central shaft, the main focus, is a picture of Jesus. Everything else branches off of him. But not only is the center shaft portraying the Christ, but the separate branches are picturing the church. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? I love John 15. That's the chapter about the husbandman and the vine and the branches. You remember Jesus talking about that? He talked about how that He said, I am the the vine and what? Ye are the branches. Talking about His disciples. Talking about the apostles. They are offshoots from Him. Well, look what we find in this candlestick in the latter part of verse 31. Beaten work of the candlestick be made in his shaft and his branches and his bowls and his knops and his flowers shall be of the same. And when we come down and read in here, we find that these six branches, verse 32, six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches 
on the candlestick out of one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. So everything comes off of the central shaft. Oh, what a picture of the church or the Christian themselves that we have been grafted into Christ, that we've been made a part of Him and we are an offshoot of Him. In many ways, we are like Christ. We are commanded to follow Christ in His likeness, to be conformed day by day, moment by moment, into the image of Christ. And one day, we will be like Him, foreseen as He is. But we are like Christ, but we are not Christ. John the Baptist was approached, are you the Christ? He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one. I may be fashioned like Him. I may be becoming like Him, but I'm not Him. And you see in that picture there, you see how all of these bowls are a little bit similar, but, the, but all the ones on the side are different from the ones in the middle. But they are alike. And so we see here that is a picture of the church, of the Christian. Not only is Christ a light, but we are a light. Revelation chapter number 1 tells us that Jesus, what was Jesus doing? He was walking among the what? Candlesticks. Candlesticks. Revelation chapter number 1 says that Jesus was walking among the seven candlesticks representing the seven churches. Our church is to be a candlestick. Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. I think about, Gary usually kids me in the, in the winter when it gets real cold and they'll have all the lights on down there at Rock City and it'll be lit up. I don't know if it was just the first time I noticed it, but we were coming home from church one late one Sunday night and I looked on that mountain and that mountain was just ablaze with light up there. And I said, baby, there must be a fire on the mountain. You see all them lights up there? You see all the, all the brightness on top? There must be a fire up there. No, baby, that's Rock City. They turned the lights on last week. You see? It, it, but on the, on, the, on the mountain there, it can't be hid. You can't hide those lights. It's seen by everybody on this side of the mountain, on that side of the mountain. Everybody sees that light. So is the church to be. We as a church should be a light for Jesus Christ. Not hidden and not, to, not covered up, but be a bold light for Jesus Christ. You know, a church that is a light can't be hidden. It attracts attention. It makes darkness very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, Jesus is specifically speaking to the church at Ephesus. What did He say to that church? He warned them that He would remove their candlestick. He said, you've left your first love. And if you don't come back, I'll pluck up that candlestick. Oh, listen, you'll be hard-pressed to find in those Asia Minor countries any of a semblance of Christ. Why? Because God took their candlestick. I think about what, uh, what Dr. Jerry Vine said. He said, God is under no obligation to keep a church going that is not a light for Jesus Christ. Boy, I tell you what, what a statement that is. God don't owe Gethsemane Baptist Church nothing. I don't care if you have, if we have been here 35 years. If we cease to be a light for Jesus Christ, He'll pluck us up and He'll do away with us. He'll move this lampstand. God can get along just fine without Gethsemane Baptist Church. He will take up that lampstand. We are to be a candlestick. But not only a church as a collectively, but also the individual. We are to be a light. Matthew 5, 15 and 16. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. For it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We individually, not just collectively as a church, we individually have a responsibility to participate in this lampstand, in this candlestick. We are to be a light as well. You see, there's illustrative, there's illustration from, uh, illustrated, the illustrative form of the candlestick. The form itself, the way it's shaped is an illustration of our relationship with the Lord Jesus and who Jesus is. He's the centerpiece of all our worship. He's right down the middle. He's the one that we come to seek. He's the one that we illuminate. He's the one that we are to go to. He is the central focus of our worship. We see the illustrated form of the candlestick, but now I want you to see the instruction of the fuel in the candlestick. Now the golden candlestick in and of itself will not produce light. You can take your big lighter 
and you can light it or turn it on and flick it, flick your bick, and you can try to set fire to that gold all day long, and it ain't going to do nothing. The candlestick in and of itself cannot be lit. You can take two pieces of gold and rub them just as fast as you can. You're not going to get sparks. You're not going to get fire. You're not going to get a light to come from it. No, it must be produced by something else. Turn turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter number 27. Exodus chapter number 27 and look at verse number 20. Talking about the tabernacle again and God's given various instructions. Notice what he said about the oil and the light. Exodus 27 and verse number 20, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring three pure oil olive uh, that bring the pure olive oil, uh, oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. You see, that oil was the source of the light. The oil was the instruction, the instructional fuel for the candlestick. I want you to see, first of all, the source of the light. The candlestick was lit because oil was placed in it. You can see in your, in your illustration that half the top, there are these almond-shaped dishes at the top. And in those dishes, they would pour oil in, olive oil, beaten olive oil, and they would put it in there, pure oil. Oil, pure olive oil was used. Oil is extracted by the pressing, pressing down or breaking of an olive. And it goes back to the Lord Jesus out in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what Gethsemane means? I preached it here many times. How the Gethsemane means the oil press, the place of crushing, the place of, of breaking. And that olive oil was broken so that the pure oil could get out of the olive. So our Lord Jesus was broken in the Garden of Gethsemane that we might have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus said, it's, it's, a, it's imperative that I come, for a, a, that I leave, for if I do not leave, the Comforter will not come. And although it may not seem it, well, I'd much rather have the universal presence of the Spirit of God to be with me day in and day out in every moment, in every hour, than the physical presence of Jesus that could be in one place at one time. Jesus said, "If it's imperative that I leave, because if I don't leave, the Spirit will not come. Because Jesus was crushed, that pure oil of the Spirit is made available to us. You know that olive oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might, nor by power, but by thy Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Just as the oil is the source of light, from the lamp, so the source of light for the life of the Christian is the Holy Spirit of God. Just as much as that lampstand had to have that oil, so the child of God has to have, has to have the Spirit of God or there'll be no light. They are no light if they have not the Spirit of God. What did I believe First John tell us? That if you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. You're not a light at all. Matter of fact, you're darkness. Oh, but those that have the Spirit of God have every potential for being a light for Jesus Christ. When those early church Christians were filled with the Spirit of God, their light was at its brightest. You see, that's the source of the light. It was the oil. But then I want you to see the supply of the light. I want to read you Leviticus 24.2. Listen to what it says. Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil, olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. In our text that we just read in Exodus 27, 20, he talked about the lamp to burn always. The lamp fire was to never go out. I believe it was uh, Samuel. Samuel had the duty, little, little boy Samuel had the duty of making sure those lights were on, making sure those lamps were always lit, making sure that fire was always going. Night and day, morning and evening, all the time, they had to be burning. They had to have lamp. Now there is, no, I want to let you know this. Let me see if you'll agree with this. There is no automobile on the planet, planet Earth, that you can feel 
one time and never have to be filled again. Is that right? How would you like to have that car if it existed? Boy, that'd be a good one, wouldn't it? Fill it up one time and that's it, brother. Oh, man, that'd be good. But that's not the case. How many times so many Christians want to be filled just one time? Give me that one experience and buddy, I'll be good for the rest of the life. Well, that's not the way it goes. It's not the way it is. That's not the way it was with this candlestick. It had to be filled again and again and again. You see, the same is true with our lives. It has to be filled. A lot of people are looking for that one-time Christian experience, but Ephesians 5.18 that commands us to be filled does so in a sense that we're to be filled and to be filled and to be filled and to be filled. Because I don't know about you, but I leak. I leak the Holy Spirit. There is, a, there is a struggle in my being between my old nature and my new nature. That old dog and the new dog, as one old Indian say, was always fighting. And the one that wins is the one I feed the most. That's what the old Indian says. Hey, but there is that struggle. There is that thing of our flesh that causes us to not be filled with the Spirit, to not be controlled and led by the power and the Spirit of God. Oh, we need to constantly be being filled. Thank God there's no shortage. Amen. In the 70s, they had an oil shortage. And the gas, the, the, I seen the pictures. Now the lines went long at the gas tank. And there was a shortage on gas. But I want to let you know, there'll never be a shortage on the Spirit of God, the oil of the Spirit of God. Philippians 1.19 says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. There's always an endless supply of the Spirit of God. Whatever uh, uh, one preacher defined this endless supply of the Spirit of God as whatever you need to burn uh, to the uh, whatever you need to burn the brightest, there is a constant supply of the Spirit. If you want to burn, if you want to burn bright for Jesus Christ, there's no limit on what God can do in your life. If you genuinely want to be a light for Jesus, if you want to burn your life out as as many missionaries and martyrs have done through the days, if you'll burn yourself out for Christ, there'll be no shortage of the supply of the Spirit to enable you to do so. There is the supply for the life. It's always constant. It's always going Exodus 27, 21 indicates that they had to be filled up every day. Look at verse 21, Exodus 27, that's where you should be. In verse 21, in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is uh, before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. That means that oil had to be taken care of, had to be tended to every morning, every evening, every morning, every evening, every morning, every evening. Well, I think it would be a good idea in our Christian life if we tended to the oil of the Spirit of God in the morning, in the evening, in the morning, in the evening. Makes good sense, doesn't it? Makes good sense that we should be preoccupied with the Spirit of God, being filled with the Spirit, having His control over our lives day in and day out. The instructional fuel in the candlestick. That's instructional. That's what we need to hear. Notice third of all, not only the illustrative form of the candlestick, the instructional fuel in the candlestick, I want you to see the illuminating flame from the candlestick. Now the flame was the source of light uh, uh, itself. It is a picture of God's very presence. Deuteronomy 4.24, and it's echoed in Hebrews later on in the New Testament, tells us that our God is a consuming fire. Fire. The flame is of God's illumination. The flame is God's illumination. I want you to see what this flame of God Remember on the day of Pentecost, as a rushing mighty wind, the Holy Spirit came down. There were cloven tongues as a fire before their head, meaning the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in their life. The very presence of God is seen. I want you to see what the flame itself does. What it illuminates. The first thing it illuminates, it illuminates the Lord. Let's say you walk into that, that holy place. 
And you see that table of showbread on the right. And you see the six, uh, six sta- a stack of six and a stack of six of that bread representing the tribes of Israel. And then you look over here and you see that, that flickering light on the table of showbread. You turn and you look at that lampstand. Now, the light from that lampstand allows you to see the candlestick itself. For that, that light, that candlestick could have been there all day long. You'd have never known it. You'd never see it. But the light of God, it illuminates the candlestick. You see, I bet you've all been wondering, what about all those bowls and knops and, <laughs> and all those, those things in there that were kind of hard to read? What all that, what's all that about? Well, I believe that these, these individual pieces or representations in the lampstand, they point us to the beauty of the person of Christ. You see, we see Jesus in the lampstand itself. It is the light of God that allows us to see the beauty of the Lord. What is, what is it says, Isaiah 53? Oh, the world saw nothing of comeliness about Him. They, 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 don't, they don't see anything beautiful about Him. Why, He's an old root out of dry ground. There's nothing exceptional about the Lord Jesus. Any of you here today say, man, that's not the case. Oh, to me, He is precious. To me, He is wonderful. He is glorious. Why? Because you've been eliminated. God sent a light into your life. You can see who Jesus really is. The world's in darkness compared to you. You see, it illuminates the Lord. This, uh, this candlestick is described to have bowls and knops and flowers. Let's start with the flowers. Many believe that this flower to be in the shape of a lily. Actually, I believe you can see that kind of drawn into our skits. And again, this is a representation. I read one author that said, boy, it sure would be good if we had the candlestick itself to study and to look at and to fascinate on. But we don't. We have an author's, uh, an illustrator's representation. But you can see how that there's portions of it that are shaped in the shape of a lily. When you think of Lily, you think of the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon chapter number 2 and verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valleys. That points to the Lord Jesus, the very lily of the valley. Then we look at the knops. What are these knops, Brother Ronnie? These would be those round spherical pieces that you see. These are a representation of pomegranates. These knops refer to pomegranates. Pomegranates play a, pro, a predominant role in the Bible as a fruit. I, I'm, I'm not too much up on a pomegranate. Matter of fact, I think one of the first pomegranates I ever seen was about a year ago, maybe six months ago. Carrie brought some home. And Grayson had a fit over them. He loved them. I just didn't care anything for them. They just didn't look too good to me. But they're perfectly round and with a little, with a little uh, kind of a bud opening at the top. And when you slice one of them open, it's Filled with these seeds. Have you ever seen the inside of a pomegranate? I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seeds on the inside. You see these seeds and this pomegranate preached to us a message on the fruitfulness of Jesus who has caused us in John chapter number 15 to bear much fruit. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm looking at a fruit stand. Not that you're a fruit or anything like that. You're, you're crazy as a, a fruit cake. But I, 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 listen, this is a room full of fruit. Room full of fruit of Jesus. What Jesus has wrought in our own hearts and lives, we see a fruit. And then the almond. The almond uh, is pictured here. It is a picture of resurrection. In Numbers chapter number 17, we have the, the story of Aaron's rod. Was, it was Aaron's rod. It was cut from an almond tree. And how did that rod, in and of itself, without the almond tree itself, it bloomed. Not only did it bloom, it started to produce fruit. I believe one of the artifacts that's in the Ark of the Covenant itself was this budding rod of Aaron. It speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who was cut in his life in 33 years, but three days later, he come to bloom again. He come to bring resurrection to each and every one. He became the first fruits of the resurrection. You see, this lampstand, it shows us the Lord. This, the light, the light, the flame in the top of it shows us all about the Lord in the lampstand itself. But second of all, not only does it illuminate the Lord, but it illuminates the labor. Now again, remember what I told you to start with? This room would have been totally dark 
had it not been for that lampstand. Had it not been for the, the little flames flickering on each of the seven of those uh, bowls of oil, there would have been no illumination in the whole room. It was the only source of light. It was the only source of light to allow the priests to accomplish their labors. You see, God is laying out instructions in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, and God's got some things we got to do. God's got some things these priests have to do. They need to go in there and change out that bread, put new bread in. They need to go burn incense. They need to trim those lamps. They can't do all this without light. They can't do all of it without illumination. You see, the fellowship and the satisfaction of the table of showbread was enjoyed. Why? Because the light of the candlestick illuminated. They could see it. They could come and be near the presence of God and enjoy the fellowship of God at that table because of the light of the lampstand. The worship and prayer at the altar of incense was experienced because of what? The illumination of the lampstand. This world, listen, we live in a world that is blinded, that is in darkness, but the child of God can enjoy intimacy with God because of the lampstand. Oh, if it wasn't for that lampstand, those priests would fumble around and trip over and fall over and bumble their way through that trial and error, trying to, trying to engage God, trying to find God. Oh, but thank God the light of the world, Jesus Christ, has come into the world and it illuminates for the child of God how we can know God. In the person of Jesus Christ. It illuminates the labor for the priest. It illuminates the Lord seen in the lampstand. Finally, it illuminates the life. The life. Now you you look real closely. Let's go over there real close to that lampstand. And I want you to look inside that bowl. Don't get your face too close. That, That flame's flickering. That light's burning. That oil's burning up there. But if you'll look down underneath that flame, you'll see that little bowl of oil And there's something hanging out of it. You see, the only uh, thing that connected the oil with the flame was a wick. Every one of them had to have a little wick. You want to find where you are in this whole lampstand thing? You're that little wick. Boy, you play a big role, don't you? (laughs) You're the little wick in the top of that bowl. You see, it is... Through our lives, connected to the Spirit of God, consumed by the light of God that allows the light to shine. You may play a small part, but boy, you play a vital part. Oh, listen, something that is soaked in the oil and consumed by the flame, that's you and I. In verse number 38 in our text, go back to chapter 25 and look at verse number 38. Look at what it said. Chapter 25, verse 38, And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. What are these for? Well, these uh, speak to the trim and the position of the wigs. God even made special little tongs where that priest could go over uh, to that lamp and he could take that and maybe that wick is burning a little bit short and, it, and the light's starting to dim. That tongue could take that little wick and pull it a little bit further out of that oil and all of a sudden that light would bright. Maybe there's a portion of that oil, of that light, that had uh, th- that wick that had been burned up and now it's all mixed into that oil. Those snuffers would be used to pluck out those impurities, to pluck out those things that are burned away and get a, so the light wouldn't be smothered, so it wouldn't smoke and fill up and detract from the light that is to be there. You see, these speak to us of the wick and, and the dressing. Chapters 30, uh, chapter 30 and verse 7 and 8. Notice chapter number 30. Uh, Exodus chapter number 30 and verse 7 and 8. And Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. Notice that Aaron went in there. And look at verse number 8. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout His generation. They're always tending to, always concerned about these wicks, aren't they? It was a focus of attention. 
In order to have good light, you need to have good wicks, properly positioned, uh, easily or uh, 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 rightfully trimmed back. They need to be removed of the dead, burned portion that will dim the light. They need to be positioned where they can burn the brightest. You know, you know when a wick is in its proper position, I can't help preach on this thinking about my mama's blown glass globe oil lamps. And I had a game in the living room. I was taking a ball and I was throwing it up against the wall. Mama said, boy, you better not hit my lamp on there. And I was doing it. One day she wasn't home and I threw it and it bounced off something, went toward that lamp. I saw my life flash before my eyes. You know the little clear glass globe part that was above uh, the round bump? That ball went right through that glass, the little clear glass that you can buy and replace very easily. Went right through that, broke it, and didn't even turn over the globe that was the most valuable part. I, every, every time I get around this oil lamp, I think about how, how, how my life passed before my eyes. But that wick, you'd have to go over there and take that wick and it had a little wheel on it and you'd turn that wick and that wick would lift up and it would cause that light to burn even brighter. You know they say when, when a wick is burning its brightest is when you can only see the light and you can't see the wick. Boy, that's a good picture of our life. I think about when Jesus was brought in was brought in on a donkey. They, Jesus said, you boys go down there and get this donkey, bring it in. And to fill a certain passage, the Old Testament said, he shall come lowly riding on the foal of an ass. And how that Jesus set up on that donkey and how that donkey was broken and he was, he was used for God's glory. And that, and that uh, Jesus got up on that donkey and that donkey was brought into town and everybody didn't cheer about the donkey. Everybody didn't take their coats and throw them down because of the donkey. It was that which was above the donkey. It was the, what got all the attention was not the donkey. It was the Christ that was on the donkey. Oh, listen, when the Lord Jesus gets the maximum amount of attention in our life and we fade into the background and they don't say, I remember what they used to say about Spurgeon. Uh, people would go to different preachers around town and they would say, my, what a preacher. My, what a preacher. My, what a preacher. But when they come from Spurgeon and they come out of his, out of his meetings, they'd say, my, what a Savior. My, what a Jesus. Oh, listen, we're at our maximum fulfillment of what God would have us to do when He is seen more than we ourselves. Oh, what a glorious picture of our life. A life that is a burning wick for the glory and the illumination of God. In close, notice in verse number... Uh, Where's it at? Verse number 25, or chapter 25, and look at verse number 38. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Snuff dishes. Now, what's that about? Snuff dishes after a wick had been in there a certain number of days, and how that slowly that that oil had been, uh, had been pouring through that wick and it had been illuminated. But little by little, that wick is burned and gets smaller and smaller. They just didn't go in. The priest just didn't go out there and pluck out that wick and throw it outside and put in a new one. No, but they took them snuff dishes. And they'd go take that badly burned, used up wick and they'd place it in a golden, a golden snuff dish and keep it. You know, that's a lot like our lives. Our lives are not disposable. Your life that you live for Jesus Christ, your endeavor to burn yourself out for the glory of God is not just simply thrown away and given away. Oh, but it's kept. It's remembered. as a judgment seat of Christ where there will be a day of rewards. Well, there'll be a day of glory for a servant that has burned their life up 
for the cause of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a great evangelist. You don't have to be a great notable his, historic missionary to have your life simply, uh, uh, simply put, uh, life taken and placed into a snuff dish. No, God, each and every one of us, God takes our lives and places them in a snuff dish to be remembered throughout all eternity in that day of the judgment seat of Christ, never to be forgotten. Let's all stand as we come to a song of invitation. Take that red hymnal and turn to page 385. 385. You see, there's this lampstand. This lampstand draws us near to the person of Jesus. I like what the old Puritan said, never get more than 24 hours away from the cross. I'm like, why won't you let this lampstand bring you close to Jesus again? Why don't you let this lampstand show you exactly where you are? Maybe there's some things in your life that he needs to take and pluck out with those, with those tongs. Maybe there's some blotches of sin that have caused your light to flicker and caused it to dim. Maybe tonight would be a great place to come to this altar and say, God, cleanse me. God, position me where I could make the maximum illumination for the glory of God. God chooses to use His people for His glory. Wouldn't you like to position yourself for it would be the maximum maximum use of your life? Maybe you think, well, my life's a waste. My, life, my life's not being... Listen, those snuff dishes were there for a purpose. No life that's lived for Christ, no life that's given for Jesus is a waste. Maybe the centrality of Christ has slipped away and you haven't been focusing your life on Him. Maybe you'd like to come to this altar and say, God, reorient my life. Put me in my proper place, that place where you are preeminent. You are the central role in our life. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.